0: Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brand. Running a portfolio of spirits and alcohol brands requires constant innovation to keep up with consumer tastes and purchasing preferences. It's an area that Ed Pilkington, Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer at Diageo, knows all about. In addition to constantly staying on top of the cutting edge of beverage trends, Pilkington also leads an ESG framework for Diageo's portfolio, which includes Johnny Walker, Guinness, and Tanqueray. This not only covers DEI and sustainability, but responsible drinking as well. In this episode, Pilkington chats about his career at Diageo and how he manages the portfolio, and teases upcoming innovations like pink tequila and espresso martini on tap. I'm your host Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Ed, hello. Thank you so much for being here today. How are you?
1: Hi, Alison. Um, very well, thank you. And, and thank you for inviting me. No, delighted to join and looking forward to having a chat.
0: Awesome. So before we really get into it, um, I would—I just want to share with the listeners that your background is absolutely amazing. You're sitting in front of a giant tanker Glass. Um, Talk about talk about um, the Diageo office and and how you guys sort of designed it at Three World Trade because it's pretty amazing. I've been there myself.
1: Yeah. So no, it's great. Yeah. No, I'm in front. By the way, for the listeners, it's not an actual real glass. It's a big image of a glass. (laughs) Yeah, you described that. This would otherwise be the world's biggest ever uh, gin and tonic, I think. Um, (laughs) But um, no, actually, the inspiration. We moved down here back in 2020. Actually, was about 12 weeks before uh, the pandemic really hit. And the idea, one, we actually shut two offices down and wanted to consolidate and have one main office. That was the first idea. We wanted to be at a kind of new, vibrant location. Uh, and then the idea really was to make sure that it really brought our brands to life. And it was an amazing place for people to collaborate. And we've got an amazing portfolio of brands. We've got like 200, over 200 brands of which we actively market 40 or so. So we wanted a lot of the rooms to be brand rooms, but we didn't want them to be boring brand rooms. You know, when you go into some places and they have like a, a framed picture of your packaging. Um, that was like the last thing we wanted. We had an office up in Norwalk, and when we cleared it out, it was like all these bad pictures of like nineteen ninety-five packaging and stuff like that. And of course, that moves on. So we were also really clear that the imagery we were going to use in the office was more broad, general imagery around the brand, more brand world type of images, because our packaging evolves, and our campaigns evolve, and our partners evolve. So the last thing is, you want a picture on a wall of, you know brand old packaging and some partner who we then <laughs> no longer work with so that was right. the idea and then the big thing which you will have seen is the bar uh, yeah. and obviously we are very proud to be a drinks business we you know about uh, responsible drinking uh, and we wanted to make the bar the showpiece so when you come into the office the reception is at the corner of the bar as you've seen you come in and then you walk in and the whole big space is our bar we've got and we wanted it really to be one of the best bars in new york uh, we wanted it to be really cool feel great feel like one of the sort of best, you know, style bars in New York, basically. And we've got an amazing portfolio and uh, we've got brilliant bartenders who make awesome cocktails as well. So it's, yeah. it's good. And we serve good Guinness, obviously, as well.
0: <laughs> I was going to, I was going to bring up the bar because it's really pretty cool. Like I think, you know, you have, um, first of all, it's fully stocked with all of course, Diageo liquors.
1: Second
0: of all, um, you have innovation in your title. And I think like, Even like the fact that you said that you built that Diageo built this office in 2020, you were sort of thinking about the future of work already, right? And like how to gather people in, in spaces. So I'm curious how that's worked um, in New York, particularly where it's been hard to get people to come back and on marketing teams um, for you in particular, how it's been gathering people in this new revamped office hub.
1: Yeah. And it's been interesting. I mean, one good thing was pre, we were very good at Zoom actually pre COVID. So that helped us through COVID, but we built a lot of collaboration spaces anyway, actually. So what we found is as we've come back, actually, what we've realized actually, we, it's funny, we built these things you, you didn't, we didn't quite get right. When we first did it, we put in some libraries because we thought we wanted, we wanted to get people into collaborate. And then we thought people might want quiet space. Uh, they never got used. So we turn the libraries into much more, you know, vibrant sort of collaboration areas where people can come in. And our whole thing basically has been uh, post-COVID has been about collaboration. The the one we've said is we want people to come in. And actually what we're saying is we really want people ideally out of home three days a week. That's specifically kind of what we've got to. We're not a particularly prescriptive organization, but that's where we've got to. But we want people to come in and collaborate. And um, at the end of the day, if you think about our business, Our business is about socializing. Our business is about people coming together. You know, our purpose as Diageo is about celebrating life every day, everywhere. So for all that we had, actually, our business performed very well through COVID. We did some great work, very proud of what we did and how the business was. Um, You know, we want people to come back and socialize and collaborate. And we want events like tonight in the bar we've got a Smyrna Ice event because we're just relaunching Smyrna Ice and we've got some great new packaging. So there'll be lots of people in glitzy Smyrna Ice jackets in the bar. So, again, we really want to use the space and bring people back in. And, and again, so it, it's it's a big area for collaboration is the, the core word, basically. And, again, actually, our partners, we get a lot of people asking us to use the, um, use the space. So we've had actually people like the Marketing Academy, the uh, Marketing Society, people like that uh, using the event, and other people, British American business, all sorts of people. Um, So we're really here as well. We want to sort of host. And uh, as you would be, we want to be good hosts as well. We want to make this place available and make it our home. But we want people to come in and enjoy it and enjoy our brands, to be honest with you. You know, we've got great brands. We want people to come and enjoy them.
0: Awesome. So let's back up a little bit. I want to talk about you and your career. You've been at Diageo for a while. Talk about your trajectory there and and like how you sort of got into marketing and, and, you know, alcohol, beverage marketing in particular.
1: No, it's great, and thank you for just saying a while rather than using a specific number. So I appreciate that. Um, that's, that's actually what I say. Um, this is
0: not my first rodeo. <laughs> no, I know. I
1: really do appreciate it. When you're dealing with the older guys, you go know, just a while. Um, so, um, so basically, how I got into it, uh, basically, when I left, when I was at college, uh, my family basically lawyers or people, engineers, people like that, accountants didn't want to do any of that. Uh, I was quite interested in selling. I had a few little side hustle things when I was at university doing some stuff. I was really interested in it. And I just was fascinated in the whole art of, you know, persuading people to buy things, to be honest with you. Um, And I just got interested in it. I started reading up on marketing. I was doing liberal arts. I did uh, sort of Spanish, Portuguese. I did a lot about history, economics, politics at university. So I really enjoyed that. But I was also interested in linked to that sort of human behavior. So I think history is really interesting in terms of informing human behavior because at the heart of marketing and brand building is understanding people isn't it and understanding why people do what they do and uh, being able to sort of make them want to candidly go and buy your brands so i was really interested in it didn't know a lot about it thought i need to go somewhere where i can get a good training uh, and then i thought what brands do i want to work on and one of my favorite brands was guinness and i loved it and i i drank it responsibly through university i can assure you and i was in the uk to so where you could drink at a slightly younger legal age albeit i traveled <laughs> my first time i came to the states i was 21 and two weeks old uh, actually. Yeah. So, so I, I talked to perfection. I spent a lot of time here since. Um, so I did, yeah, perfection. Um, and I, yeah, and Guinness had a great training scheme. So I loved the brand, wanted to learn and I joined Guinness. And the other thing was, I was very lucky is I wanted to, so obviously everyone can tell I'm, I'm British for my, my accent. Uh, and I grew up, but I traveled even as a kid. I lived in Mexico, uh, when I was about 18, I'd studied in Mexico, spent a year in Mexico and I really wanted to work around the world. I wanted to travel and see the world, uh, and I thought it'd be really cool if uh, I could sort of travel and see the world and have it paid for by a company. Um, so I so basically I applied to get into sort of international jobs and it all worked out really well. I was very lucky. And so I got a job in what was then Guinness just before Diageo um, in their international region. And my first proper job was basically selling. Actually, I went to the spirit side, but selling Johnny Walker and Tanqueray and brands like that in the Caribbean, which was awesome. Right. So and I was very commercial. So I started off actually in commercial roles. I was very much I was distributor management. So I spent my first while basically managing distributors, which was great. And I think it was a really good, really good period because I learned about the business, I learned about PL management, I learned about how managing supply, finance, all that type of stuff. I was had a brilliant training. So it really set me up. But I was really interested in like business strategy. And I was, and I became increasingly interested in just brands and how brands work and what makes consumers buy brands and choose brands ahead of other brands. So I really got into sort of, I got really interested in the strategic piece. So at the end of a couple of years, I realized I was about 24 that I couldn't stay in the Caribbean forever, much as it's really lovely. Uh, wasn't, <laughs> it is
0: lovely, <laughs> yeah, but it probably
1: wasn't a good strategy. Uh, so I moved into a strategy role, did that for a bit, and then I got into brands, uh, and then I sort of moved through brands. So, but I think having a foundation in very broad, almost general management, candidly. I sort of start my first three, four years were really in general management. It was a, a brilliant foundation and I'd thoroughly recommend it for people.
0: Yeah, I think also just the fact that marketers have so much that they have yeah. to grasp and oversee. Like it's not just brand and it's not just, you know, performance and growth. Like you you really do have to have a business foundation.
1: Totally. Well, we always say if you're a brand manager, you know, and whatever your job title is, you know, but if you got it, if you run a brand, you're the general manager of that brand. You really are. And you you run that brand's PL and you should treat it like a, a business within a business. And you really should. And you have to understand all all aspects of it and all facets of it. You know, it drives me nuts a little bit when people sort of describe the marketing and they think it's just the the advertising. You know, it's it's very mm-hmm. holistic, actually. It has to be.
0: Yeah. So to that point, like talk about your role now. It spans marketing and innovation. Talk about like your remit and what you oversee. And then also to to the earlier point, like how you build a team that enables you to do that.
1: Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, so i rolled around the world and I've lived here now about 12 years. I am, um, yeah, so I'm, so I'm CMO. So, yeah, we call it marketing and innovation for North America. Um, so basically, first, I suppose there's a few elements to it. One is the portfolio. So we are very much a portfolio business. So whilst we, want to build the brand Diageo as a, because we want people to know about Diageo as a corporation so we can be attractive for people to come and work here because we really want to build that. We want to get the, the best talent into this business. And we want it from a, the you know investment community as well, so people want to invest in Diageo, et cetera. Um, we're very much about our brands. So a big part of my role is about the portfolio strategy and making sure we're very clear about how we prioritize our brands um, and making sure we've got a portfolio which is fit for purpose. And a part of that is making sure. So we, we very much prioritize. We do a portfolio strategy every year. We keep evolving it. Uh, and some of that is managing our big iconic trademarks that have been around for hundreds of years. Like, you know, Johnny Walker, Crown Royal's nearly 100 years old, actually, It'd be in 2039. Um, uh, and some of the big brands like that, Buchanan's, Guinness, etc. Uh, and then also making sure we've got the right mix of brands sort of um, for now as well. So we're very clear on the portfolio. Um, so we, you know, so we have been active, I think since Diageo was formed at a global level, we've divested about 79 brands and bought about, I think 48 or something like that might not be quite right. So, so it's active portfolio management. And actually in the last, since I've been in this role, we've actively, you know, bought a few brands. Um, so aviation gin as an example, Lone River, which is a, um, agave based, based seltzer. So we bought some brands, uh, and we divested actually about 19 brands back in 2019, so big piece is portfolio management, getting very clear, and then making sure you're making the right bets. So if you look at the drinks uh, market here in the US at the moment, you know the big categories that are dynamic are tequila, whiskey are super dynamic, and then the whole massive trend around convenience. So the boom we saw in seltzer, ready to drink. So we have to make sure we are participating in a smart and clever way in those categories so that we can candidly win in the marketplace. So. You know, tequila, we've done well. We've we, we actually got a hundred percent of Don Julio back in twenty fourteen. We bought Casamigos back in about twenty sixteen. So both of those have been hugely positive for us and have had a big impact on our business. And similarly, we've been active in what we do in in, in whiskey as well and convenience.
0: Yeah. yeah. So it it's interesting you talking about, you know, disposing of and acquiring new brands, like consumer preferences, preferences are changing all the time. When it comes to drinks, like a couple of years ago there was the big Spike Seltzer, White Claw Entry. And now there's a lot of the younger consumers are like embracing the sober curious movement, right? So how is that sort of impacting the way you think about your your portfolio?
1: Yeah, big time. I mean, you you, you, you always have to have a lens on the consumer, don't you? And uh, and the big trends. So as we look at, if you said one of the big trends that impact us, there's definitely the sort of the wellness thing which links into sober curious. And wellness has been around for a while, but it's just evolved. So if I think if you went back four or five years ago, there was definitely a nascent interest in kind of uh, call it non-alc and, you know, drinks, which are uh, drinks that I want to drink. So maybe I, I drink occasionally, but I don't want to drink. If I'm going out on a Tuesday night, I just don't want to drink. I want to have three nights or four nights off. I don't want to drink. I'm driving. I'm having a month off. I'm pregnant, whatever it might be. So good reason. So people who tend to like to drink but increasingly are being very choiceful which is what we want by the way around how people drink we want people to have to be very responsible around, around they drink that is better for all of us it's better for our industry and it's a big part of a big agenda we got around positive drinking so that's really evolved but there was also a lot around just calories and carbs that was a big message and again that has evolved i think over the last three or four years back into what i describe as yeah very mindful conscious drinking so in terms of how we manage that so, so you almost got you've got like big trends around wellness Kind of indulgence has come back. Uh, people want to treat themselves. That's a big one. Luxury, sort of affordable treats. People want to sort of, um, there's definitely a thing about people wanting to sort of have brands and treats. Quality over quantity is another way of looking at it, which again links back into if I'm going to drink, I'd rather drink better. You know, that these it's much more important. And then convenience, making things really easy for consumers. So there's like big trend areas that you've got to look at. And then um, what we tend to do is, um, back to actually some of the acquisition pieces, we really look at that. And so we look at our portfolio and go, what are we doing in our current portfolio to make sure that our brands are relevant against these big kind of macro trends? That's one piece. The other piece is we look at um, what we can do around innovation and potentially acquisition. So a good example would be we've got a thing called Distill Ventures. And Distill Ventures is we're just celebrating 10 years of it. And it's basically like our um, it's an investment fund. That we, uh, that we set up 10 years ago, where we invest in smaller businesses, basically, uh, predominantly drinks businesses. And I'll come back to another thing we've helped to set up as well. And um, and we basically get lots of smaller businesses come and present to us. It's sort of, you know, a bit Shark Tank-like. Uh, we meet lots of people. We've got a whole team of people who work for Distill Ventures, who support these businesses. And then we invest and help them and help the startups basically get to a, hopefully, a better place. And in some cases, we will move to acquisition and take the brands on. In some cases, we'll part ways good example would be Seedlip, uh, which is a non-alcoholic spirit. And it was the essentially first non-alcoholic spirit. We invested in, back in that back in 2015, 2016. We acquired it about four years ago, three, four years ago. And now we're really trying to build it out as a non-alcoholic spirit uh, in, this, uh, in North America. And another one would be a brand called Ritual, which is uh, out, of, uh, out of Chicago, which again is like a non-alcoholic gin and non-alcoholic tequila-like thing. So again, we we invest in businesses which we think are doing really interesting things in interesting spaces and relevant spaces, and then support those businesses. And in some cases, we move to uh, we move to acquisition. Another one, less in the, the wellness space, would be. Um, you know, if you look at the world of cocktails at the moment and people drinking well and better, that the espresso martini is having a moment. It's huge.
0: Oh yes,
1: it is, uh, and it's it's just huge. And you think on the back of coffee and all the coffee trends and all that stuff. So we invested back in 2016 in a little brand called Mister Black, uh, which was founded by a then 23, 24 year old entrepreneur called Tom in basically his backyard in Australia, in Sydney, Australia. Um, and uh, we've invested, supported Tom. And we moved to acquisition last year, actually, um, and we've now got it in our portfolio. We're looking to roll it out. We'll move it to scale, uh, and it's fantastic. Uh, it's a cold brew. It's amazing. It makes the most amazing espresso martinis. Obviously, I'll say with it's brilliant with a one of our brands. So with you know one, et etc. Obviously, I'll say that actually uh, great with tequila as well. But yeah, so, so there's a lot of looking at the trends, looking at what's out there, often. We have a big innovation agenda, so we'll look to create new brands. We'll look to innovate off our core brands, but we also we also want to be supporting entrepreneurs and innovators who are out there in the communities and seeing if um, there's businesses we can invest in and support them, and ultimately bring them in bring them in house. So it's, it's a mix yeah. of stuff. Yeah,
0: I'm curious on the investment piece. Like I know ESG is a big part of your focus, and um, you mentioned responsible drinking, but I'm curious, like when you're investing in new companies. Do you look at de as part of that? And how do you make sure you're growing and investing, especially in North America, in diverse uh, business owners?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. So ESG, we can probably talk a bit more about it. I mean, we have three big spaces in ESG. One is DE&I. It's a big thing around diversity. And we're very proud of what we've done as an organization, as a corporation. And then around diversity, there's always more you can do, but a huge agenda for us. We really fundamentally believe in it. And a diverse business ourselves and who we partner with, uh, and how we show that through our brands just makes for a better world and we just believe that there's a whole piece about sustainability listening to packaging efficiency nature water usage all of that sort of stuff and then there's a the big people about pos- positive drinking which is essentially society and the communities we work in and how we make sure we make sure that alcohol is a responsibly consumed part of society which is good for society good for communities and good for kind of the, the industry going forward to be honest with you um so very specifically, yeah, we look to make sure our investments. As we look to invest in different businesses, we absolutely look to see if they are increasingly, you know, diverse owned, be it uh, minority owned, female owned, uh, whatever it may be. Um, so we absolutely look at that as a as a big criteria, and a big play that we've we're very proud of what we've helped to set up, which is now being more run almost by the whole industry. Was an initiative to call Pronghorn, and Pronghorn, which is named after the the, the sort of creature the pronghorn which is a very fast the second fastest creature in the world um which is because it's an accelerator program basically is where we are actively investing in spirits business but in diverse owned spirits businesses and we've uh, already actively invested in 12 we've put money in other people are putting money in uh we've got a whole business set up around it and uh we're really proud about that at the moment and that hopefully because actually what we want in terms of our industry we want our industry overall to look more diverse uh that's Mm -hmm. it it's it's really important so So You're absolutely right. Uh, We need to be making sure that we are investing where we make our investments. We're making consciously making our investments in diverse owners, diverse entrepreneurs, um, in suppliers who we partner with. We have a whole supplier diversity agenda, which we actively look at, which is huge to us. And then internally, we want our business to reflect society. That's, That's how it is.
0: Yeah. How do you sort of think about not just obviously you have goals in terms of investment and supplier diversity, but like in the marketing you create and put out into the world, like how do you consider um incorporating diverse voices and faces
1: so we so yeah we, we set goals and actually for the the three big esg areas i laid out we have what we call our society 2030 goals so we have i think about 25 big goals at a global level which we are uh you know looking to uh, uh, you know achieve clearly um in terms of sort of marketing in our brands you know we 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 said different. So, one yes there's a supply diversity. Then, specifically on the brands, we want to make sure that at a basic level. So, if you take content, we want to make sure we have um, what we call progressive portrayal. So, if you roll back the clock a few years, we started off, I suppose, initially around actually diverse, around actually um, around women, around female um, participation, because we recognised just at a basic level there weren't enough women directors. Uh, you know, so when we you know we shoot, there's lots of content that we shoot, making sure that we have it. So, at a basic ru- rule we set off that we would always make sure that when we put a bid in, so we called it free the bid, when when bids go in for any work or any big content that we're shooting, there has to be minimum uh, one diverse director on there. And that's been fantastic in terms of the amount of actually um, diverse directors. So one starting primarily going back quite a few years, around female directors, but also now around uh, minority or diverse directors. So that's been a big thing. And so, basically, front of camera, back of camera, making sure that who we what, – what consumers see around our brands feels diverse and represents society and is, and is right for that brand and who we're talking to, uh, and and also, you know, behind the camera as well is absolutely – so. That, and we set goals around that. We've got targets around that. Uh, back to free the bid on progressive portrayal. We absolutely – you know, we – if if for some reason we, at the end of the period of time, we review it and we go – why didn't that brand have a diverse slate of directors? Uh, then we'll have conversations about it, if want to be honest with you. So, yeah, we we, we do yeah. that.
0: I'm curious, like, what you think about, um, and, you know, you don't have to put yourself in their shoes necessarily, but, like, the whole uh, controversy that's going on with Bud Light right now around working with a trans influencer. I guess I'm curious, like, do you think that that's going to make marketers rethink their... Diversity partnerships and strategies. Um, what are the impacts of of that?
1: I think. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to comment directly on. There's probably enough been written written and said about about what's going on. But I think, as I say, we're we're super proud. We we as a business espouse diversity. We want to make sure that we are diverse in terms of who we are, who we partner with, how we work. We really we really totally believe in that, and that, that's full sweep of diversity. Actually, we did it. We've kicked off a lot of work few years ago we realized we weren't doing enough in areas like disability as well for example so there's there's so much more we can do so being very broad in what we do and then i think you know our brands in taste of our brands we've got a, a great history in our brands of you know partnering sort of it with uh for example you take lgbtq um plus agenda you know smirnoff goes back till pretty much just after stonewall uh where mm-hmm. we've we've partnered and worked so you know so brands you know our brands have got a history of doing it and i think we do it uh, for the right way with a genuine history of supporting different communities but i think you know each brand needs to do what's right for that brand um i think you know also people need to be aware of the agenda and the world we live in um you know but um but you know as as an organization we we are very proud of uh how we are as an organization and we believe that you know we want to see a more tolerant world and that's what we we're, we're looking for but i'm not going to comment much more on what other other companies are doing
0: that's fair so um i'm curious also about the responsible drinking Agenda. Talk about that and how that sort of is a net positive for the brand.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's a funny one. So if you um, actually, it's interesting, a little aside, we um, on the ESG agenda. I mean, one of the great things about working with Diageo is they they push us. They want to develop us as leaders. So um, a, a few of us got sent on a, an Oxford University sustainability course, uh, which was fantastic. So I finally, got a, an edu- I finally got a qualification from Oxford University, which is great. I didn't quite, <laughs> I didn't quite manage it first time round um and uh, and it was great anyway so i learned loads it was about 75 hours of learning which was good uh and it's reflected our commitment but i mean uh having sort of Im- immersed myself in it and got closer to it and the agenda you sort of you take step step back as a corporation you sort of realize we're not just about financial capital you know it really is about natural capital the world and the planet and the resources we use and, and social capital and and that really is about the, the communities and what we how we work and how we operate in our communities and if you think about positive drinking. You know, we really do believe that, you know, drinking has been around for thousands of years and at it's best it is you know, at the heart of what a good times where people celebrate and have great times with their friends, families, loved ones and all of that. And we really believe in that. We wanted to be around for thousands of years, but we have to be aware of the role that it plays in society uh, and communities. So it's so an active level. One, we need to be operating in communities very, you know, so literally down different communities, different groups, different social groups, actively participating And then we also want to get the message out about just drinking and enjoying drinking responsibly. And a big part of that is, is moderation. So how you moderate, how you drink. So a lot of our messaging is around moderating And then we use candidly the strength of our brands to get those messages across. We have other platforms as well, which we use. We created a thing a while ago called drink IQ, which is really good, which you can go and check out, which gives information about drinking. So our role is to help to, to educate. So we've got various different programs. We've got some around drinking in general, which is, which is really interesting. And then stuff, some things we do in our brands. Um, Give an example, crown world for quite a few years, we've run a program called water break. And it's really simple and it's just, and it links to the work we do around the NFL which is just when you're drinking, have a break. You know, it is, if you have a drink, drink water. It's really simple. Don't drink too many. Uh, It's just really simple message, you know, uh, that we need to get across because actually that just makes for better society. So, so we we really believe in it. Uh, We believe in investing in the societies and communities in which we operate. Um, And we believe that we have to, you know, try and inform people around, around the category that we, we operate in because we do believe in the category. We believe that it's, you know, it's been an important part of society for many years, but, you know, we're very aware of the role it plays in society.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just sort of like as a major producer, sort of owning the responsibility yeah. of a product, right?
1: You, you have to, you have to do it. And I'm not saying it's about us regulating ourselves, but it is us being very aware of the, the role that it plays in society. We believe that it can, alcohol can play a, a very positive role in society. But what we want is, and, and, and back to what I said earlier, actually, uh, we believe in like quality over quantity. I mean, if I look at Diageo in North America, we, are the biggest spirits company, but our total share of all beverage alcohol is only about seven percent. You know, we're not looking to. We don't want people to go out there to drink more. We want people to drink better. Actually, mm-hmm. what we want is quality. Enjoy it. Go out and have a brilliant Catoan Mister Black Espresso Martini on so, Thursday, Friday night, I and enjoy that. So you know that, that's what we want. You know, uh, we, so we're really on on an agenda around people really enjoying and and look, life's better if you have lovely things and nice things around you and you can enjoy it and enjoy stuff in moderation. That's, that's a simple message that we want to put out and then support the communities we operate in basically.
0: Yeah, for sure. So as you know, this shift toward quality over quantity, and I think in general consumers wanting luxury and and nice things and, and to sort of get back out there, we're in this economic uncertain period, right? There's sort of a lot of uncertainty going on about how the second half of the year is going to look, with the Fed continuing to um, raise interest rates, et cetera, et cetera. So, how are you kind of looking at your marketing strategy across the Diageo portfolio for the rest of the year, um, and and meeting consumers' needs right now as they're dealing with high inflation?
1: Yeah, no, it, look, it, it's tough. We're we're very aware that um, consumers are you know are feeling the pinch in many cases. We do a lot, you know. We one, you just have to you know read what's going on in the news. It doesn't take much to work out what's happening. You keep keep track of it. Um, So we do a lot of work just trying to understand consumers, understanding our different consumers. And we, you know, we really do talk to kind of all America, really, in terms of sort of who we talk to, because we've got the breadth of our portfolio. I think we need to make sure we've got the right offers where hopefully the message we're landing is the right message. You know, pricing comes into it. Pricing is, you know, it can be challenged at the moment because, you know, back to the inflation piece, you know, all businesses have been hit with cost inflation, you know, people see it, people see that, you know, things are becoming more expensive. So one of our biggest challenges as a business has been how we manage, uh, how we manage costs and how we manage inflation. And our supply team have done sort of fantastic jobs to make sure we're sort of managing that in the in the right way. So I think the key thing is to understand what's going on, make sure we're still hopefully adding value for our consumers in, in what we bring to our consumers um we're still communicating i think the key thing is is at more difficult times you need to keep messaging you need to keep communicating you need to keep your brands top of mind you need to keep making sure you've got the right balance of uh promotional activity as well for consumers so there's that that balance of activity and keep your brands relevant during this time basically um and understand that it is a bit more challenged for it's a more slightly more challenged environment
0: yeah how are you doing that like are you um shifting to different channels that are more measurable or like what's a way that you can kind of keep your brand presence high while also like making it measurable and tying it back to roi and all the things that marketers have to do today
1: yeah i mean i mean we can make most of what we do measurable i mean um we still that's the sort of basics of brand building if you sort of follow the bit of bar and sharp i suppose uh mental and physical availability you still need to make sure your brands are mentally available, you keep the with the right messaging for consumers. I think you need to understand as well in so if you take our industry, where are people consuming? So for example, you know, during COVID, clearly everyone was at home. They couldn't go out. So right messaging. So what are you doing to add value to consumers? What are you showing? So why don't you try this and drink this and here's some lovely cocktail recipes and try this. And you know that, that worked really well for a period of time. At the moment people are busy now. People are going out. They're going back into the office. They've got, in some cases, families to manage and organize and stuff like that so and people want to go out more but they're understanding the cost of going out could be a bit more so trying to understand exactly where consumers are going and get the right message if they're going out a bit more and drinking a bit less at home then making sure you've got that message making sure your brands are visible in the on premise so it's just about understanding where consumers are making sure that our brands are present for consumers and then we're giving them the right opportunities there um but i mean what you what you shouldn't what we don't want to do is just radically take our prices down or anything like that to do it, because that, that's not the way to go because, you know, we got to manage margins at the end of the day. We're a business and, you know, that's, that's how it is. So we have to make, continue to add value. And then I think, you know, if you look about what we do, you know, there's what can we do around innovation? So what are we doing to bring new news into for consumers? So again, we've got an active innovation agenda. We've just launched a uh, Don Julio Rosado, which is for the summer, which is a, and onwards, which is a pink tequila, uh, lightly pink color, which is really cool. Uh, aged in port port cast, port uh, port wine cast, which is amazing. So bring new news out, which kind of makes it interesting for people. Because back to, for things are tough. People still want to go out and enjoy themselves. You know, what we are getting is, whilst people are saying it's tough and people are feeling the pinch a bit and people are being more conscious about where they spend their money, you know, this is broad generalisation because some people are really, you know, we do, uh, you know, really are struggling. We really get that. Um, But we need to make sure we're making things interesting for people because we can bring we can bring affordable luxury to people. That's what we want to do Uh, and bring, you know, and, and still make sure people are, because what we are seeing is people still want to have a good time. You know, people don't, you know, people still want to go and have a good time. People still want to go to bars and restaurants. People still want to have people around. They want to enjoy themselves They you know, in, in the main people don't want to sit at home on their own feeling miserable. Um, you know, so, so what what can we do to try and make that? What can we do in terms of new, interesting things, you know, um, we're doing a whole load of work on ready to serve cocktails. So how do you make cocktails easy for people to serve? Uh, you know, we just launched a, a bullet pre-mixed cocktails, stuff like that. So I think you have to think about what's your innovation agenda? What are you going to do to make, make things interesting for consumers and make their, you know, make, give them something which is fun and interesting, basically.
0: Well, um, I think you're also in a good position because people are spending money more now on going out and doing things. And oftentimes, alcohol is involved with that, right? As opposed to the COVID boom of ordering everything on Amazon and doing things at home. Um, So what's one exciting thing we can expect from um, Diageo this year in terms of innovation? I'm personally, I'm excited for the pink tequila because that sounds like... Tequila Rose, and I like both of
1: those things. Yeah, so that's a big one. So we've got some exciting stuff uh on tequila. So that's the big one now. We've got other stuff happening on tequila, which uh some stuff will break uh soonish, which is so we've got some good stuff coming up. Um uh so tequila is such a big active market. Actually, very excited. We bought um a little brand called 21 Seeds, which we don't want to be a little brand for too long, which is um infused tequila. So I actually had breakfast with the founders this morning, they're great, and how we really build that out because Actually, if you like a spicy marg, the cucumber jalapeno uh, twenty-one seeds is amazing. It's really great. So we've got that. We've um, actually flavors are interesting at the moment. Um, uh, tr- um, if you call it almost like uh, tropical type flavors are really trending. Um, our Smirnoff tamarind is doing absolutely great guns, which is amazing. Which is like a spicy uh, spicy vodka. It Tastes amazing. So we've got real traction behind that. And we just launched a Buchanan's pineapple. And if you're a purist around Scotch whiskey, you might think, "What's that about?" Uh, Buchanan's is an amazing brand. It's a big brand in Mexico and Latin America, and uh, that's going great guns as well. And it tastes amazing. So, and actually, candidly, it makes whiskey's doing great. But it makes whiskey for some people taste easier, and nice, you know, and it's lovely. And pineapple's just kind of on trend. So, uh, Buchanan's pineapple is amazing. So, we're looking at always looking at flavors and what we can do around flavor trends. We're looking at what we can do around sort of different, um, say, the Rosado, and we've got some interesting stuff lined up on tequila. Uh, and then the other stuff is we just always look at you know tech innovation what 's interesting to make it easier for people to to buy and buy our brands. but um, I suppose those are the big ones and then ready to serve we think is an interesting area There's some of our competitors are doing some great space, but cocktails are really booming um, so um, we 've actually on the espresso martini piece we 're putting we 've got these um, fantastic catawan espresso martini machines. Uh, which we're putting into a load of on-premise outfits uh, outlets through our distributors. We don't physically put them in there. It's very clear because that's, we can't do that. Um, mm-hmm. But you'll see those in a few places. Uh, and they're really interesting as well because they make it easy for bartenders to basically make a, a, an espresso martini, which is brilliant, high quality in relatively quick time. So in, in high footfall traffic areas. So stuff like that we're looking at. So how do you, again, make it easy for people to enjoy great cocktails?
0: awesome well is it five o'clock yet because that all <laughs> sounds amazing um ed thank you so much for for joining me today it was it was great chatting with you
1: no it all great but the final one is i would say back to wellness guinness zero by the way guinness Ooh. zero is amazing shouldn't forget that it's all right, right yeah so if the beer drink is out there it's amazing awesome there we go quick sales point pitch now alison thank you very much Big great appreciate it
0: That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.